He quit smoking years ago. He moves to the far end of the table and makes a big fuss about me having a cigarette. Here, in such a small, enclosed space. He's the socialist in the family and likes to operate by consensus, which is too bad for him tonight because we're all looking for comfort. Robin and Victor haul out cigars. Get over it, says Victor. Look, it's a vaulted ceiling. I'll open the front door. Chris raises his arms in surrender, and Victor starts reading the will out loud. It's only a formality, but it seems important to give this sibling's supper some gravitas. We've been through wills before on both sides of the family, and it's astonishing what ill will can be generated from a sheaf of paper. At least Mum's will is straightforward. She never understood wills that showed favoritism. Why bequeath a fight to the next generation? She believed that Will should treat all children equally, so everything is divided by four. Dad's will was straightforward, too. He'd left all his assets to Mum, which is why we didn't discover one small glitch until after Mum died. Victor found some old IOUs in Dad's safety deposit box. Whenever we'd borrowed money in the past, to repay a student loan, perhaps, or to finance a property— Mom wasn't too bothered with accounting. We found notes she'd scribbled to herself on scraps of paper in her desk. But whenever we borrowed from Dad, he made us sign a formal IOU. Mom's will generously stipulates that all debts to her are forgiven. But the lawyer has explained that debts to Dad are not Mom's to forgive. She inherited his assets, not his debts. Debts to Dad should be deducted from our inheritance and repaid to the estate. Not everyone is happy. Obviously, in hindsight, Mum was the better bank. Mum has also left each one of us a specific treasured object. To me, she's left the German music box that has been in her family since 1878. To Robin, she's left the wooden prison ship, carved out of wood and fishbone by Dad's great-great-grandfather during the Napoleonic Wars. To Chris, she's left the elaborate sterling silver punch bowl passed down by our Irish ancestors, and to Victor, she's left the silver water goblets that we always used on special family occasions. Each of the grandchildren has been left something, too. The girls get a piece of jewelry and the boys one of Dad's war medals. When Victor has finished reading the slim document, he asks if one of us will act as secretary to record the minutes for the many items we need to discuss. Everyone looks at me, but I keep quiet for once. There's an uncomfortable silence. Eventually, Chris volunteers. Victor gives us an up-to-date summary of Mum's financial affairs, how much is left in the bank, and what debts are outstanding. The most important decision we have to make tonight is what to do with the main asset, the house. Mum had always worried about this. She asked me repeatedly, what will you children do with the house after I'm gone? I didn't want to give her false hope, but I'd been trying for years to come up with a plan. Could we duplex it, turn it into a B&B? Could I live over the garage and rent out the main part? We pull the table to find out if any of us wants to buy the others out. Everyone looks at me again, they know how much I love it, and I'm filled with feelings of inadequacy. How could I be in such a position as to not be able to afford this house?
It means I'm relatively poorer in middle age than my father was when he was only 36. It underscores all the mistakes I've made. I allow myself to wallow in so many if-onlys. If only I'd stayed married. If only I hadn't sold my company. If only I'd invested in real estate. If only I'd been smarter or luckier. I'd already bought a lottery ticket, the stupid man's tax, and not one of my numbers rolled out. There's only one possibility left. Finding a treasure under the floorboards. Isn't there something, somewhere? A priceless Roman coin, perhaps, or a dirty little Degas? I can't bear to give up my dream of keeping this house in the family. Predictably, immediately following Mum's funeral, we'd received several real estate inquiries, all disguised as sympathy notes. Some were from agents, but most were from private buyers.